Have you ever been someplace and all of a sudden you found yourself asking the question, what am I doing here? And sometimes that happens when you're at a family gathering and you're thinking, I don't think I belong here. Sometimes it happens when you're at school. Sometimes it happens after 15 years of doing the same job over and over and over again. What am I doing here? Sadly for some, it happens right around 10 years of marriage. What am I doing here? Without a clear purpose in view, things can get stale very quickly. And disillusionment sets in. You find yourself getting antsy, getting frustrated. You often find your attention zeroing in on all of the little things that you would like changed. The things that you know could and should be done better, but they're not. And you see all of those things in high definition. They come in loud and clear. And that's often when a critical spirit sets in. We used to uh, use this term back in, back in the day. That's when you get salty. You get, you get crusty. You get abrasive. Because the joy that you once knew with living life on purpose, well, that started to fade. And you know what can happen with school and with work, at home, and in marriage? That can certainly happen in the church. It can happen, and it does happen. And that's why this morning we want to draw our attention to the reason for it all. Why we're here. Why the church exists. We want to remind ourselves of that glorious reason for the existence of the church so that we might move forward with vigor, with enthusiasm, with determination in every step. So what is the church for? Why is it here? What's it supposed to be doing? We've said over and over again since I have been here, we've said that the church exists for the glory of God. What does that mean? I mean, can you explain? Can you define what we're talking about? I'm supposed to glorify God in this church, but how do I do that? Well, if you want to know how to do something that is in relation to God, you've got to look to His Word. You've got to look there first. You've got to go to God's Word as the primary source. If you want a good, clean glass of water, you don't go downstream, do you? You don't go down to where the L.A. River dumps out into Long Beach Harbor and take your cup and dip it in the water and take a drink. You don't do that. No, no, no. You go upstream. You go to the source where the water is crystal clear and as pure as it is, can possibly be. And that's what we want to do when it comes to life's biggest questions. We want the purest answer possible. So we go to the source. So we're not looking to church fathers, and we're not going to wise people, and we're not looking to popular books or newspaper articles. We're not scouring the blogs or going to social media, and we're not looking at church traditions either. 
We're not looking at how our church has always done things or how that church does it because that church is booming over there. If we could just copy what they are doing, then maybe we will glorify God more than we're already doing so. We don't do that. And neither do we look inside of ourselves and say, what, do, what does my heart tell me? What, what, do, what do I want? How do I want to do We don't do that. Because we know our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately wicked. Why would we go there? No. We go directly to the author of life. We look to God's holy word. God's word is not only our ultimate and trustworthy authority, it's also absolutely sufficient to provide us with everything we need to know about living lives that please God. The most clearest passage is uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why is it here? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Did you notice what Paul said in there? He said, all scripture. He said, all of it. It all comes from God. There's not a single word that we can disregard. So we can't pull a Thomas Jefferson and just start tearing pages out of the Bible. And neither can we go back to the old Jesus seminar and start trying to figure out what words are Jesus's and what words were added in later because they sound like things that Jesus may have said. No, 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 no. It's all his word. It's all been breathed out by him. It has its origin in him. And yes, it was written down by the hands of men. The text reflects their style, their personality. And yet at the same time, every word has been superintended. Are you familiar with that term? It's been superintended. That means that each word is God-approved. Each word is what God has ordered. It's just what the doctor ordered. That's God's word. The Bible is his word. Want to know what God thinks, what he wants you to do? Then you pick this up, and you open it up, and you start reading. It's his word. Sadly, I think a lot of people go through life like a sick person refusing to see a doctor. They're struggling with some chronic, debilitating symptoms that just seem to worsen. Day and day goes by, but they're just getting worse. But instead of going and getting a professional opinion, they try to guess what maybe the doctor would say. Or maybe they go get advice from friends. Maybe they look some things up on the internet. They go to all kinds of other sources, but they don't want to go to the one source where someone might actually know something. They've studied things. They've examined things. And the same is true for people who go through life and they're confronted with all sorts of problems and all sorts of troubles. Not the least of which is the basic human need to answer that question. What what am I doing here? Why am I here? That's perplexing. It's troubling. Instead of looking to the maker of life for answers, so often what people will do is they try to figure it out on their own. And they're looking to their own personal experiences. What was my dad like? That's going to tell me what God is like. 
or any number of other things that have happened in my life. Tragedy struck, and so that tells me something. I know who God is because this happened in my life. Or maybe they're going to friends. Maybe they're going to wise people that they know. Maybe they're looking to TV, the radio, or heaven forbid, online. We go to doctors, we go to mechanics, we go to lawyers, we go to financial advisors, we go to those, those people behind the genius bar at the Apple store. Sometimes we don't get all that much help. Why don't we take advantage of the revealed mind of God that is readily available now more than any other time in history? It is available to us in his word. Not only is all of it his word, it's all useful. It's all profitable. Paul writes, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God's word is useful for helping us know how to live lives that are righteous. And not that kind of 80s slang kind of righteous, like, dude, his life is so righteous. Duh! It's because of God's word. No, it's not that kind of righteous. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's how to live rightly when it comes to your relationship with God. Live in a way that's in accordance with God's design, in a way that's pleasing to him. That's the righteousness we're talking about. That's the righteousness that you and I want. Notice Paul says that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. That means that there is no good work that the Bible does not equip us for. No good work. You want to know how to please God? You want to know how you might fulfill your purpose? Then you've got to look to God's Word. You'll find everything that you need to know there. And that's not to say that logic and common sense don't have a place. God equipped each of us, I believe, each of us with a brain and he intends us to use them. But because he's intentionally actually spoken to us in his word, then that's the first place we need to go. It's the first place we need to look. It's also the last place we need to go. It's, it's the final place that we need to go, to refer back to. When we have those beliefs that have developed because of personal experience, or we've heard those things from friends, we've read that thing on the internet, we've been deep into other primary sources, but you know what? We've got to go back to God's Word because this is the final authority. And if you've had some type of dream, or you've had some type of vision, or some type of ex experience like that, spiritual experience, then before you put any stock in it, before you act on it, you've got to make sure, by going back to God's Word, does this line up? Because all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's all profitable. This thing is powerfully authoritative. We've got to make it the first thing we go to. We've got to make it the final thing that we go to. It's key in our quest for knowing, discovering our purpose. So what does God's word say about why we are here? We're going to take a little journey together this morning, and we've got to go all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But he didn't stop there. 
He created living things. He created things that would reproduce themselves. Things like birds and fish. Things that creep. Things that walk. Things that swim. Things that fly. Things that grow and blossom. Things that sprout and produce fruit. And every one of those things makes other things that are just like the thing that made them. And so bunnies produce bunnies. And iguanas produce more iguanas. And persimmon trees, they, you get the idea, right? That's the way it works. Every one of them produces after their kind. But human beings, the Bible tells us, they were patterned in a different way. They were patterned in a very intentional way, a very specific way. They were, we're told, patterned after God himself. And so in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let, us, let, him, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, He created them. So within the first chapter of 1,189 chapters, within the 26th verse of 31,102 verses, we see it stated that God created humanity in His image. Everything else has been created in, in, in their pattern, but we have been patterned after God Himself. And that being the case, I think it's fair to say that by design, the most basic, fundamental calling of the human race, these people who have been created in the image of God, is to image God. They're to reflect, to resemble, to represent in some way God's character to the rest of all creation. When everything else looks at us, it should see something about God's character playing out in who we are. We're made in God's image, and so we image God. But according to God's word, we've failed in that assignment. We've failed miserably. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we've all had things that have worn out. They no longer work the way they were once supposed to work. They no longer exhibit that original beauty that they once had. Like you buy a brand new car and you get in there and it just smells so good. And you look at the paint job and it's gleaming. You, you walk up and you see your face in, in, in the paint and it's just beautiful. But give it t- 10 years, give it 20 years. It doesn't reflect that same kind of radiance anymore. You buy a vacuum cleaner. We bought a really good one. Man, it doesn't work nearly as good as it used to. You buy a phone, and at first it's, it's screaming fast. It's holding a charge, and this thing is so wonderful. And then a year goes by, and you're like, what, what, what is going on here? This thing's like a brick. You buy a pair of pants, and they don't fit the way they used to. I mean, what's going on here? These pants, what is wrong with these pants? They used to be so good. <laughs> Maybe not those. 
things wear out, they fall apart, they lose their luster, they don't function the way they were originally designed to function. But you know, humanity's failure to image God, it's not because humanity has worn out. It's not because we've aged. It's not because we've, there's wear and tear. It's the result of rebellion. It's like an uh, in-and-out employee who's gone rogue, and now they're wearing their, their uniform inside out, and they go to the French fry press, and they're putting tomatoes in there instead, and they're taking those secret sauce packets, and they're throwing them on the ground, and they're stomping up and down, sending that delicious goodness all over the restaurant. They, they, they're making a mess. And that's what we have done with the image of God that we've been entrusted to represent. You do that at work, and you get fired. Maybe you get arrested. Maybe worse, maybe you're banned from in and out for the rest of your life. I can't imagine. You rebel against God and you're separated from Him forever. That special relationship that you and I were made to enjoy with your Creator, that's destroyed. Oh, we're still made in the image of God. Still made in that pattern. But the image is no longer a faithful representation of God's character. I mean, God is holy. He's set apart. And we've dirtied ourselves with all sorts of horrible things. God is truthful. And we've spoken lies. God is loving. And sometimes we're filled with hate. He's patient. We want everything now. He's faithful. And we waver back and forth like a flag in the wind. He's selfless. And we're constantly pushing the, the needs and the, 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 the good of others aside so that we can get ours right now. We don't reflect God the way that we were designed to, do we? When the rest of creation looks at us, we give it a bad image of God. We make him look bad. You can't get a good idea of what God is like by looking at us like a bad computer file. It's, it's been corrupted. And, and the original information that it was meant to convey, you can't find it. It's, it's indiscernible. Once we were precious image bearers representing the king, and now we're image bearers who've made a mockery of the image of God, and we've been cast out. Such is the tragic story of humanity. But God wasn't finished with us. To a man named Abram, the word of God came. Through him and his children, God said that he would bring a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Genesis 12:1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless, bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
So God would take Abram and his descendants and he would make them into a people, a people that were to be set apart from all the other peoples of the earth. And he was going to use them to accomplish his purpose. Exodus 19.5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. As this kingdom of priests, and as this holy, this set-apart nation, they were to put on display, they would image the character of God to all the peoples of the earth. They would do what Adam and Eve refused to do, as they listened to and obeyed God's word. Leviticus 11.44, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. This was their task. Be holy, as God is holy. Reflect God to everyone else. Align yourselves with this God, so that you might be image bearers and testimonies of His glory. And God provided them everything they needed. He gave them his law. He gave them all the instructions that were necessary. He gave them their own land. He even said, I will dwell among you. I'm going to be right there with you. They would be his people. He would be their God. But as we read the pages of Scripture, we find that Israel, they didn't rise to this challenge. And in fact, we come to the realization as we study God's word more and more, we come to the realization that on their own, due to the seeds of rebellion that exist in every human heart, people can't image God on their own the way they were made to. Can't do it. Israel couldn't do it. And neither can anyone else. Oh, there are a lot of people out there that will tell you, oh, no, 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 look at me, I'm different. I'm going to do this like no one else has ever done before. And they're lying. Or they're totally out of their minds. You can't do it. That's what Romans 3 tells us. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one on its own. Humanity is destined to fail when it comes to fulfilling that task, that purpose of being an image bearer of God, representing Him and pointing everyone. This is what God is like. See how beautiful He is as you watch me live. can't do it. That's where Jesus comes in. He would be the one and only human being who would image God as God intended all of us to do. See, being fully God, he could absolutely and perfectly represent God. And as a full human being, Philippians 2.7 tells us he was born in the likeness of men. Being fully human, he would perfectly image God on our behalf as a human being. He perfectly obeyed. He perfectly resisted temptation. He perfectly loved. He perfectly served. He did everything that Israel and the rest of us were absolutely unable to do. 
In John 6.38, Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8.28, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Jesus imaged the Father. In John 14.9, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Just as the Nicene Creed of 325 AD reads, He is the only Son of God eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Colossians 1.15 tells us He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Well, we failed at imaging God. Jesus Christ succeeded. He represented God in a way that we never would have been able to. And it is through the same Jesus that we who were dead in our sins, totally unable to image God accurately, to live righteously or please him in any way, we were made alive. We were washed clean forgiven. We were hand-dipped in righteousness. This is amazing. Because of Christ, you and I are no longer enemies of God. Colossians 1.21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Because of Christ, we're now called to a specific purpose. 1 Peter 2.9 You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Did you catch what we're called to do? Do you see your purpose? We're to image God. We're to image God. Colossians 1.22 said, you're to be holy and blameless above reproach. The image of God that was distorted by our sin, now we've been restored by the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter tells us we're now a people of God so that we might proclaim his excellencies. Verses 11 through 12, they tell us we're to be holy like God is holy so that we may point others to to his glory. 
That's the response we want them to have when they see us out in the workplace, when they see us at school, when they see us having every reason to be absolutely furious with somebody else and we speak truthfully and kindly. And we not only represent God passively because of who we are now in Christ, we do it actively, right? To put on display through our lives this how wonderful God is. The, is. The glory of God shines on us like the moon in the sunlight. We're to reflect that out through our words, through our actions. Jesus made it clear that our lives should image God our Father. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. As God our Father has made peace with us, we're going to now go out and be image bearers and make peace with others. Matthew 5.43, you've heard it said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Our Father, he pours out his love on the people of this planet, people that he's created. Ones that are absolutely evil and ones who have some appearance of good. And his sons and daughters of the king were to image him and pour his love out onto others. Check out John seventeen twenty. Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, united, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There is oneness in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are three persons, one nature, and they are united. And that's what Christ wants for us as well. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Two more real quick. Matthew 5.48 You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Finally, what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, as God's image bearers, He wants us to go out represent who God is to a dying, hurting world and to call others to God that they as well might be transformed and become image bearers who burn bright the light of their king. What is church for? The church exists to image or to display the glory of God as it listens to and obeys His Word. You are the light of the world. 
And while we shine imperfectly now, we still image God imperfectly right now. You aren't perfect, I'm not perfect, but there's going to come a day when the imperfect will give way to perfection. We read in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. You know, the church isn't here to cater to us. It's not here to cater to our music preferences. It's not here to entertain us. It's not here to be a nice, family-friendly place to hang out. It's not here to align with any other of our personal preferences. The church exists to give glory to God the way that God intended humanity to glorify him from the very beginning in such a way that every thought, every interaction, every act of love, every movement, every syllable uttered, every note of its existence might be in tune with God's holy character. The church exists to image the glory of God as it listens to and obey His Word. We need to be far more concerned with whether we are biblical, with whether we are biblical, than whether we have the right ingredients, the right balance of flavors to attract discerning palates. Jesus didn't say anything about having a rocking worship team. He didn't say anything about getting an eloquent, interesting, intriguing, dynamic pastor. He didn't say anything about that. He didn't suggest that you get your facilities up to outdoor mall status, South Orange County style. He didn't say any of that. He saved us that we might be like him. That's the beauty of the church. That's when the church shines brilliantly the glory of God. And the people look at the people, the church, and they say, something's going on over there. Something very different is happening there, and I need to be part of this. As people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, let's be all about our mission to display the glory of God as we listen to and obey his word. Let's close our time together with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ that came in, gave himself for us so that we might be washed clean, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be restored, so that we might once again have a part in putting on display your brilliance, and your beauty. Lord, I pray for us as a church as we move forward, Lord, that you would help us to shine even more brilliantly the light of Christ, the character of God our Father than we have in days past. May our minds be keenly focused on that one purpose. May that be our one desire. And would you use us, Lord, for your glory and the good of your people. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, I want to send you on your way. And I want to encourage you, as you leave this place this morning, would you go with a real understanding 
in the forefront of your minds the grace of God that has been given you. And you may you go be the church with boldness because you have heard His Word and you have His Holy Spirit inside of you. May He empower you to go be Christ-like to a world in desperate need of meeting Christ. May God bless you. Have a wonderful day.